Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Olinger, and sad to say we do not have a guest on this week. Sean, I I think we drove away all our friends. We're just going to have to have the insight and analysis of three people between the two of us. We just got (laughs) to step our games up. I mean, it's a pretty good theory, and like, you know, maybe we'll lure someone in because, you know, if we hire or bring on the right person... I was trying to go for some Mike D'Antoni pun there. It didn't really land, but. <laughs> it would have to be someone who was an assistant podcaster for us years back. <laughs> and we took a took a liking to him or her. And then uh, we, we fought, we, we've been waiting for our other guests to uh, fail so that we could bring in the guy we wanted all along. And so, okay. So on that note, it's pretty clear what the big story around the Sixers is today. There's a lot going on, going on in the NBA world a lot more important things going on in terms of actual basketball being played. But the thing that is right now, the number one priority in Sixers world is who will be the coach. And after the Bulls hired Billy Donovan, one of the Sixers candidates, the rumblings and rumors have only grown to say that it's probably going to be Mike D'Antoni, most recently the coach of the Houston Rockets. Sean, your initial thoughts. Initial thought is it's not too much of a surprise. It was pretty clear back when he was in Philly that they were kind of angling for him to succeed Brett Brown at at that time. And it wouldn't have been a surprise if they had let Brett go then and just brought in Mike right after the season where he was the assistant here. Um, He obviously went to Houston, but you know, whatever Colangelo ties are still there in the front office, there is a connection there with D'Antoni to their time in Phoenix and obviously with Scott O'Neill in New York when D'Antoni was a head coach with the Knicks. And there's, you know, conflicting reports about how much say O'Neill still has in any decision makings in the Philadelphia front office, which we're all just thrilled about every, every time we hear another report like that. Yeah, we're just... Totally thrilled <laughs> that while the, the people who are the main culprits behind, well, like waves arms this, what the Sixers have are still in charge and making the head coaching decision, even though we really want to see some changes up in the front office first before any of that. Right. So once again, the process is completely not, not the process capital P, but the process lowercase P of how the Sixers are going about things is completely messed up. Um, You know, as for D'Antoni himself, he's a good coach. He's been coach of the year multiple times. He's, adapted his styles in different places a little like you did, you wrote a really good piece on uh libertyballers.com a website we both know very well uh but both and, know very well that's the reason we have this podcast yeah uh, you're selling yourself short daniel there's there's plenty of reasons we have this podcast um, <laughs> it, it is not that we just both happen to text steve Lipman at relatively the same time that one week oh darn here i thought that was it <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I'm sure you'll you'll go in in depth a little bit more about what you talked about. But yeah, just generally, he isn't the Chuck Threes guy that everyone kind of simplifies him into. So if he's the coach of the Sixers, I'm not gonna be upset. I mean, part of me, it it everything's just soured because the process is completely messed up and they're going about things in a backwards fashion, and it's just like. Ever, ever since this new, ever since Hickey left, I guess I would say, everything's just been like, oh, what's the path of least resistance where we don't have to think too hard or get too creative with what we want to do? And that's kind of where they go with things. And this would be just another example of that. 
we should have named ourselves the Path of Least Resistance podcast. Missed opportunity. Uh, what? I guess when uh, they let us go for not having enough guests on, we can start our own <laughs> podcast and call it that. Oh man. <laughs> uh, no. No, but yeah, so I uh, thank you for complimenting my piece on Mike D'Antoni. I've been thinking about that for a while, finally sat down and did the work, but it was basically pointing out that, because I mean, it's not as more like the more knowledgeable basketball fans and basketball media knew like Mike D'Antoni's a generally good coach. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know if he's the perfect hire or the right hire, but I know he would, he's got a pretty good reputation and a pretty good track record. And the most thing that you would see a lot of national media personalities say, may, per se, is like, Mike D'Antoni is all about spread and like pace and space, shoot a ton of threes, all the stuff that the Sixers aren't set up to do, that the Sixers should just be feeding Joel and beating the post and figuring stuff out like that, which, I mean, do you think they didn't try to give Joel the ball in the post? We led the league in post-ups, but I, I digress. Um, but yeah, I was kind of showing how Mike D'Antoni's kind of style isn't just go pace and space. It's more about you play with good spacing principles, but also he adjusts the specific offensive system, specifically the speed of the offense, in order to fit his star best. So when it was Steve Nash, it was everything go, go, go. They led they were near tops in the league in possessions per game, which isn't a perfect measurement of speed of your offense, but it's about as close as we're gonna get. And Steve Nash, like they were always running you know, seven seconds or less. And that kind of worked best for them. The Rockets did that their first year of D'Antoni when Harden led the league in assists. Then when Chris Paul came, who was known for his teams near the bottom in possessions per game almost every year, Chris Paul's very deliberate, like grind out the defense, find the hole, you know, take your time, stuff like that. The Rockets transitioned backwards. They eventually got rid of most of their ball screens in their offense, and Harden was isolating a lot, kind of a very slow it down, don't bring a second defender anywhere near Harden or Paul let those guys try and pick apart their defenders one-on-one and we'll score that way. And then this year they made an ill an ill-advised trade of Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, who is in every way a worse player, but one who requires a kind of a fast setting to use his capabilities. Cause let's face it. What Westbrook is not a guy who dissects you and find your weakness. Westbrook run Westbrook is the guy who keeps running the, no. Okay. I, I was thinking of the analogy, but it's, he keeps trying to fit the, square into the circle hole and like in the circle hole in the pe- with the pegs but he is so strong that eventually sometimes he does fit it if that <laughs> makes any sense he just ha- <laughs> he just hammers it through yes like so that, that was a little bit too much but um yeah the rockets were back up in fifth i think fifth place in possessions per game this year so they sped that up so kind of just pointing out how Mike D'Antoni, well, I'm not sure if it's the right hire. I understand if someone out there thinks maybe Ty Lue's a better coach, maybe one of these up-and-coming assistants, maybe they're a big believer in Ime Udoka, who's the Sixers' assistant this past year. I, I'm fine with any of that kind of thought. I just didn't like the idea that it's, if, it's like the title of my article is, it's lazy to just say Mike D'Antoni doesn't fit the Sixers. I'm, I do have confidence that if they were to hire Mike D'Antoni, that he is going to work really hard to craft a system which – best accentuates the strengths of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid in his eyes. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's, that's all true. And what the analysis you did on how he adjusts his pace kind of made me think because it wasn't really the, the threes thing that had me worried. It was more the, you know, he, Hey, he's a seven seconds or less coach. And it's, that's kind of the time for Joel Embiid to get the half court. Like how's <laughs> that going to work? So that was good to hear and, and read about, I guess. Um, I, the, the concern, I guess, is just that he, the places he succeeded, he's had, I think he's always had like a Hall of Fame caliber point guard. Very fair point. Very creator. Fair. And the times that it hasn't worked out is the times when he hasn't, or he had Steve Nash, but Steve Nash's back was in traction. So he wasn't Steve Nash in, in LA I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so, so the Sixers obviously don't have that. I mean, Ben Simmons is a great playmaker, but he's not a shooting threat at all. So they're just going to lay off him like they always do if they try to do any semblance of either pick and roll at the top of the key or uh, ISO. Like that's just not Ben's game at this point. Mm-hmm. So I mean, where where do you get that from? It's Shake Milton is probably the closest thing to that 
archetype of player, but mm. he's not quick enough or creative enough to be like an ISO scorer. He's he's more suited as like a secondary ball handler, spot up guy. So I, I guess that would just be my big cons- concern yeah. is like if if D'Antoni is going to craft his offense, what does that look like? And with the Sixers' current roster, and you know he's a great coach, so maybe he would figure out something different. So I guess we would have to see if he was the eventual choice. No, that's a that's a fair point. I saw that a lot in the comments on my piece today that I didn't mention his Knicks or Lakers years. The first thing I would say that is I was thinking about putting in a line there about why I omitted the Knicks and studying that, and it was that that article may not, may or may not have been written during the course of an online class of mine the other day in which I – I value. I decided that I valued writing the column more than the class, so kind yeah. of what zone. So, so it might have been some speed typing. Uh, may have missed some stuff, but um, <laughs> Mr. And Mrs. Olinger, I hope you're not listening. Your tuition dollars are definitely going to a good cause. They're, they're... I, I'm, I'm on. I'm all at home this this quarter, so we are we are sitting much better financially. It's the one of the few benefits of Zoom University. But there you uh, go. Uh, so, yeah. so you can afford to uh, write a column. Yeah, and during, I was, was going to say, like, I mean, he did have some success with the Knicks when they did have Jeremy Lin. Obviously, there's not really a Sixers player kind of close to that. But I would say, like, in terms of what he could do that would really help them, it's, you remember those plays where the Sixers would be posting up, and while they were posting up, a guy would cut through, and while they were cutting through, they would run a pick and roll with both guys go- going towards them. All these plays where I think it's I I've tried to look at it closely, and I think. The max guys you should have like near the paint or in the paint really are like two guys, which is one guy is like a lob threat or a threat to pass off to, and the other of the ball who's coming down. It really should never be three guys in the paint, which Brett Brown, as much as we liked him, he ended up with that a lot. Like I had one piece a while back where it showed every time in their pick and roll, a guy would duck in like to clog up the rolling space. So I just have a feeling that Mike D'Antoni trusting his track record that he's probably going to say, hey, guys, don't do that anymore. You know, like, no more Ben has to be in the dunker spot because the Spurs did it and it worked 20 years ago. For sure. And, yeah, I definitely think whatever D'Antoni crafted would be a more fluid offense, and I would look forward to seeing that. Um, I, I guess, for me, with Simmons and Embiid, a successful Sixers kind of scheme overall is like or identity i guess is a better word a better identity for me is like we have to be a defensive juggernaut like that's that's kind of what having ben and joel lends itself to and this kind of is just leaning so far in another direction it just that's i guess that's what feels like a weird fit to me more than anything no that's that's fair but i would also say mike d'antoni's teams well he's never had incredible defensive personnel outside of like Sean Marion and PJ Tucker are definitely the two best defenders he's had in a while. And the Rockets, after like they usually would have slow starts the past few seasons with their defense, but then ramped up to the point it was really good. And like I can't guarantee it because I, like you said, Mike D'Antoni does have a shaky track record with like how his defenses play, particularly in the playoffs. Sometimes it feels like they can just give up buckets too easily, but. I do point out that the Sixers, part of the reason their defense was only good, not great this year, is that they did not prioritize the right things, which you saw, at least during regular season, your defense should really just try and cut off the paint as much as possible. I mean, the Bucks and the Raptors had the two best defenses in the league. They led the league in three-pointers allowed. They basically tried to do everything they could to keep teams out of the paint. So that's still the most efficient shot on the court is getting to the rim because layups, you're going to just average more points per shot that way. So – Whereas the Sixers led the league in like fewest frequency out of shot total for their opponents in terms of threes, but gave up a pretty good amount of shots at the rim because like Joel wasn't taught to just always hang back or they weren't helping off of bad shooters to try and clog the paint with all their length. You know, you know what I'm saying? So it's not like necessarily that Mike D'Antoni, I'm not sure if he'll have a great defensive system, but I have to think that, coming in he'll look at what the Sixers did wrong last year come to look at some numbers come to that conclusion and make the adjustment yeah I I I would agree it's we got to give him the benefit of the doubt as a guy that has a proven track record of success you know maybe not in the playoffs so much but you know multiple coach of the years and 
generally considered among the top five to 10 coaches in the league. So, you know, the guy also at the national level or the national team level, having that experience as well. He's obviously one of the most well-respected guys in the game at his, at his profession. So yeah, it's like I said, I'd be, I'm not going to be upset. It's just kind of another like shrug. Oh, just, Oh, I guess. Yeah, this makes sense. Of course they would do this. It's just minimal effort. It doesn't seem like, it's like when they said they had 150 interviews and we all knew they didn't. This kind of feels like the same thing. Like they were only willing to do the the minimum amount in their search because they said, well, we, you know, we had Mike and Mike's a great coach. So why, let's just go with Mike. Like that's kind of how it feels like they're coming to their conclusions. Do you think for the 150 interviews, they just called 150 GM candidates, but like hung up within three seconds just so they could like, uh, to, they had like a witness in the room saying you saw us pick up the phone you saw us engage for one second that counts we, we've we have reached our quota i think it was jerry calling 150 people and saying wouldn't my son brian be a great guy for the job and and that's that was that was the interview process for all those people <laughs> uh never gets old but uh one thing we have to talk about is that when the rumors kind of broke that it seems like Mike D'Antoni is the guy for the Sixers, it was also reported that the Sixers are seemingly looking into inquis- – I butchered the way that sentence went, but they're asking around about guys to trade, supposedly because maybe doing what I w- wasn't like in terms of – they're trying to change the roster in order to fit the system of Mike D'Antoni is like kind of what the source, I think, was saying – but, I mean, uh, but also we're also big in favor of trading Al Horford and Tobias Harris and those bad contracts if possible. So, and two of the yeah. names that came up, the first one was pretty reasonable was, and it's been a name that's been floated in Sixers trades for a large portion, not even just the off season, the regular season two in Buddy Heald of the Sacramento Kings. Sure. Yeah. First, I'll just say they didn't need to phrase it. Sixers would be willing to trade to fit Mike D'Antoni's system because first of all, that's dumb to say, like we're going to bring in this 69 year old coach and completely change the roster to fit him. It definitely just, just say Sixers looking to make trades because they sucked and they need to get better and no part of their, like very limited parts of the roster fit together. So they need to make trades to actually be a good team. And not to mention that <laughs> telegraphing your trade interests around the league does not help you in negotiation. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that in principle, but at this point, everyone knows. It's not like people yeah. are like, hey, you guys want to trade Tobias and Al? Really? Like, oh, wh- what don't I know? Everyone kind of knows what's going on with the oh, Sixers. <laughs> it's a little different than saying, like, hey, we really like Matisse in the draft. Did you, hear, did you hear that thing from Michael Levin? I think it was when he was – he had mentioned it on his own podcast, but then he talked to our Dave Early about it, about how he heard that the Sixers promised some guard in the draft that they were going to take him if he was there at 34, which, again, like why, why they feel the need that they have to do these things and let it get out into the open, I am not sure. I wonder if uh, they had Larry Brown as a special advisor, given his promise to Larry Hughes back in the day, oh and and why and why we didn't have Paul Pierce or Dirk Nowitzki. Um, oh man! Yeah, just so back um, to Buddy Hield. So Buddy Hield, if they can turn Al Horford into Buddy Hield, yeah, do that. Why not? Uh, Hield is not a perfect player, but he fits a hell of a lot better with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid than Al Horford does. So. Stick him out there in a Mike D'Antoni offense. Hope he grows into an Eric Gordon role and hit a lot of spot-up shots off Ben Ben Simmons' three-point assists and uh, Joel Embiid post-up kickouts and uh, see what happens. And the heel contract extension, I believe, is uh, de-escalating over the four years. It's still a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. Uh, But, you know, for a guy who you project to be a starter it's not crippling money um does it matter that buddy is older than both Embiid and simmons because he is despite only being in the league for five years buddy is i think 28 yeah i remember he was he was like 23 or 24 his senior his last year in college 
when when Nova roasted him in the final four game, I that won. was one of the most enjoyable <laughs> games I ever watched. And also because that Nova team was just it was that game and the game the Villanova game against Kansas in the final four where I felt bad for the Kansas players that one time. Like you just they were making so many shots. Yeah. It was a it was a great couple year stretch there to be a Nova fan for sure. Um but yeah, yeah, Buddy Hield's obviously you know, he was old for his age at the draft and he's it's not like he has it's not like he's twenty three now and still there's a ton of upside there, as I I guess you're kind of alluding to. But uh does it bother me that he's older than Ben and Joel? No. Um, you know who else is older than Ben and Joel? Al Horford. So if you like just hey, if you can somehow flip Horford into Heald and you don't have to give up a ton of assets to do it, then please do it. Like it's just a better fit. It's better I, I, I think they'll be better in the short term, as well as the possibility that Heald continues to improve as a player, whereas Al is only going to continue to decline in his early to mid thirties. So yeah, please do it. I, it's a new, I'm just skeptical Sacramento would want to now that Vladi's not there. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I forget what the new GM they hired, what his name was, but I know he's pretty well respected in the league. So the days of, taking two first round picks away from the Kings just so they can have enough money to sign Rajon Rondo. Those days are gone probably. Yeah. It's a Monty McNair is the new. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he worked for Houston, right? I believe so. Not 100% on that. I mean, it's obviously we don't know a lot about him, but and as much as Vlade was a Vlade Divac, a great basketball player himself. He is, he just was not a very good GM. So we'll just leave it at that. As terms of like how Buddy is like, and I'm guessing like off the top of my head, a Buddy Heald trade probably looks like the pick Al Horford. And do you have to give up Matisse for that? Because I'm guessing the Kings would ask for that. That would, the pick and Matisse would be too much for me. What if it was the pick and Zaire? Yeah, I would do that. Which again, I feel like, but that's the thing. I feel like the Kings know that they're like, we don't want Zaire. We'd want Matisse. So, but also um, like Buddy, Buddy is very good. He does some I think he was better in 2019 than 2020, but I feel like just some Sixers fans think he's like Duncan Robinson where this dude is such a weapon. He flies around the court, he bends defenses that well. He's such a great shooter. Buddy is more of a threat than a weapon. He teams have to stay close to him cuz he's a he's shot over 40% from 3 the last 4 years of his career. Very very impressive. And imagine that on the Sixers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I think even more than that, because his percentage dipped by a tiny bit this season, is that he went from like 42% of his shots being the consistent, like 42% of his shots were threes the last three years. Then this this year, it went all the way up to like 58% of his shots were threes. And the only guys on the Sixers to exceed that like frequency were Mike Scott and Furkan Korkmaz and Matisse Thibel was close, and none of them are as good as shooters as him. So that kind of willingness to shoot and spread the defense is good. But th- there's a reason that the Kings sees, the Kings got a little bit better once they moved Buddy to the bench and started Bogdan Bogdanovich. I don't think Buddy is a great off-ball mover like some of the very best shooters are. And he likes to kind of isolate on-ball a little too much for how good his actual on-ball skills are. And plus... I just, I know he's a really big negative on defense. He's just not that athletic, not super engaged all the time. He's not, the good thing is he's like 6'5", and as we've seen in the playoffs, like, if a guy has that kind of size, like Tyler Hero size, per se, like, you can live with them on defense because they can't just pick on them, whereas someone like Kemba Walker, the Celtics, were just getting attacked relentlessly by the Heat because he's, he's way shorter than them. So he could definitely hold his own a little on defense, but he's still not very, that good on that end. And I just think, like, yeah, so he'll command the respect of the defense, but I'm just not sure how great the offense is if we run it through Buddy Heald a lot, which I think when Buddy is on the court, he really wants the offense run through him. I wouldn't be that concerned about it because Buddy in Sacramento feels different than Buddy in Philadelphia when you have two all-stars in Simmons and Embiid. Like, I don't think they would let that fly. They'd get – they'd, you know, 
get in his face in the huddle or in the locker room, whatever, and be like, just kind of like put put and him he, in his place. He would threaten to slap him. <laughs> there would be normal family stuff that would take place. Is is <laughs> what I'm getting at. Um, so I don't. Yeah, that's. I think it's a little different environment than in Sacramento, where you know they have some good young pieces, but no one has established themselves as a, as a star to the extent that. Embiid and Simmons have so I don't I don't I think he would slot more easily and comfortably into the kind of off-ball secondary creator than and and, and we wouldn't see a lot of those ISO possessions mm-hmm. um and and maybe he you know he would have a chance to do that a little bit kind of like when the Sixers turned to Trey Burke in, or not Trey Burke um Alec Burks in in those kind of uh, bench bench lineups where they just let Burks go to work and uh you know so there, there'd be spots where Buddy could still do that to, to, to kind of throw him a bone here and there but um yeah so that, I, that wouldn't be as much of a concern for me yeah um, the thing that was the Buddy healed rumors they make sense and they are within possibility the rumor today that the Sixers might be hiring Mike D'Antoni to lure James Harden was <laughs> I do people understand how this works like the Sixers do not have money. They, if they were to somehow ever trade from which the Rockets would not do, they would have to give up at least one of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, like at least one of them, because there's no way you train for the otherwise. And I just, it's not happening. That is a load of crap. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's that's one of those Reddit rumors that have zero accountability was it, was it or basis in fact. By someone. It was like a rando Twitter. It okay. it was it was not like a an, it wasn't even uh like a third tier ESPN reporter, let alone like a, a Shams or Woj type. Mm-hmm. It it was it was just uh yeah, no one I would put particular credence in. Was was it tweeted from Alex Rucker's burner? You know, it could be. You <laughs> you never know these days. And maybe an enterprising member of Sixers Twitter will get to the bottom of it. Uh, because we know they have a particular set of skills that lends themselves to get to the bottom of such investigations. Um, but yeah, obviously, that's not even, it's not even a pipe dream. It's its an implausibility in every sense. Um, it, it was more realistic that they were going to sign LeBron in the summer of 2018 than that they would lure James Harden out of Houston. Yeah, at least they got a meeting with LeBron's business manager. So that that was real. Um <laughs> they they made it into LeBron's like reminders app like send manager to Sixers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh so th- you know that that might have been just LeBron wanting to film a uh his t- the Ben Simmons centered TV show in Philadelphia so he didn't want to burn all his Philadelphia bridges. Uh so he sent somebody over as an as an olive branch. Um yeah, I mean, the Sixers don't have the pieces to trade for James Harden. James Harden's the centerpiece of the Rockets franchise. And why would James Harden want to leave Texas where he doesn't get state income tax on that 40 plus million dollar a year salary? To play for a team with no cap room. To play for the team with no cap room and did worse than his current team this past season. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, it doesn't. And 
like what you said there about worse than his current team, we're we're gonna transition into that because I wanted to do this. It's the Celt we've been watching the Celtics Heat series, the Heat currently up three one, and I was just thinking about it how both those teams are relatively young. They they're not teams that have been here too. I mean the Celtics now have been on the conference finals three of the past four years, but they're two two of at least their three most important players and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are super young still. And I was just trying to think about after all these years where the Sixers are, like in terms of like their future and the way they're set up. And I kind of wanted to go through the Eastern conference and think about where the Sixers fit in there because the idea is like we, the Sixers have been held back that there's this incredible team of potential and that hiring a coach like Mike D'Antoni and making the right trades is going to finally unlock that potential, but I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. So, Sean, do you want us to get started with who you would have? So we're going to start with just going through t- our tiers of who are the top team, and it's supposed to be vague, just kind of so we can debate about it. But like, who are your top tier teams in the East for the future? The teams best set up to succeed going forward. So I would put, and we were kind of messaging back and forth prior to this. So my top tier would be three teams you mentioned, which are in no particular order, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami. And I would also throw Brooklyn in there. Yeah, I put them in my top tier too after the thing. I, I must have just forgotten about them because, you know, they you forget, oh yeah, they're adding maybe the second or best player in the world next year coming off injury. Sure. So, so the the huge caveat is how healthy is Kevin Durant when he comes back? Like Achilles injuries are, it's it's not yeah. a sure thing. I mean, yeah, I know sure. I know people have had success coming back in recent yeah. years, but it's still kind of a scary it's, proposition to come Kevin back Durant. from. That. It's Kevin Durant is a monster. Yeah, at a minimum, he's still going to be a seven footer that shoots plus forty percent from three, and with a high release point and an unguardable shot. So there's always going to be that, even if his, I don't know, lateral movement and quickness isn't quite what it was pre- prior to his injury. Um, so yeah, you have him, you have Kyrie coming back. I, I'm intrigued by the Steve Nash hire uh, at head coach. I, I know there's a lot of problematic discussions about mm-hmm. him just getting the job and everything, and we don't need to go into that. But I, I think I do think he's a very creative and thoughtful basketball mind. So I'm very curious to see what he does with the pieces he has there in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, they have other good pieces. So I, I, I think just having KD and Kyrie, that, that kind of vaults them into the, the tier, the, the bottom of tier one for me. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that assessment. And as for the other teams, like, I mean, the Celtics, we've got, they've beat us plenty of times. And like, I was having a discussion with someone saying, Oh, but the Sixers, like, they were kind of saying the Celtics, you know, they just don't have it to win these titles. They're not going to win the – it looks like they're pretty much done in the conference finals. But I, I just kind of feel like in – what, in what world at this point do the Sixers get better than the Celtics or better than the Heat or even better than the Bucks? should Giannis stay past next year? Because they've really just limited themselves. And those teams, they operate so smoothly. There's such a – either some very high-end talent or a good, like, depth of talent. And I, I don't know if I'm describing that well or not, but I just feel like the Celtics in, are going to be this team that always at least wins one series and can just stay in contention for, like, the next 10 years, as long as Tatum, Brown, and, like, their good pieces around them are always this. And then Miami – What's amazing about Miami's win in game four the other night is that Bam and Jimmy Butler played very poorly. Their offense was not very good, but they just said, we're going to give the ball to our 20-year-old rookie, and he's going to isolate against the best guard defender in the NBA, Marcus Smart, and we're going to score because apparently Tyler Hero is now like a top 20 player. He's their hero. Um, No. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I mean, obviously Miami has – the the army of baby goats as jimmy butler refers to them and yeah jimmy's obviously a vet but they have bam still very young and they have hero who's taken a leap in this postseason they have duncan robinson who's already at his age one of the best and most uh like dangerous shooters from five feet behind the arc which is super valuable 
and they have you know their their system which you know you can joke about heat culture but to me what heat culture means is they have a level of accountability in the organization they have good decision makers that know how to draft and know how to develop players and they get the free agent meetings that the Knicks tweet about having interest in getting free agent meetings and the Sixers kid themselves into getting these kind of free agent meetings but the Heat actually get them because you know they have South Beach which you know that's not a fair comparison because not every team can obviously have South Beach but they also have Pat Riley who can dump his bag of rings on the table and they have this proven track record of success um so all of that builds into a successful organization and that's why they're able to do some of the things they do mm-hmm. um so yeah they're going to be there and to your what your friend said about Boston oh they're they can't get it done. They're not in a position to win a title. Like games one and two, they were down to the final minute. They could have easily won the first three games of the series. Again, and yeah, they got screwed over last night because a 20 year old turned into the best player on the court and they shot like crap for three quarters. It's, I mean, Boston is really just, they, I think it was that they, both teams have scored the exact same number of points in the series thus far, but it's just, they're really struggling at the worst parts of the games. They haven't gotten some breaks their ways. And I do think it's important to mention, we both did not include Toronto in our top tier. And I mean, we didn't talk about Milwaukee, but Milwaukee, like it's basically as long as you have Giannis and a competent team around him, you're going to be a title contender. But the Raptors, like, I feel like we're both thinking about it as the Raptors are maybe looking towards trying to rebuild, trying to trade. But there is also some interest in them, like, They've been linked to Giannis some. They are a very good team. Like, do we think the Raptors would have won the title pretty easily if Kawhi had just stayed? Yeah. I <laughs> I mean, why? I don't know about, like, easily, but I think they would have been, the, been the favorite. The they would definitely been the favorite, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would put Toronto at the top of my tier two. Mm-hmm. And that's just because I don't, think they have that young blue chip talent like uh, to to kind of finish off my my Celtics thoughts they Mm -hmm. they have Tatum who's already an amazing player and it seems like he's only getting better like his ability as a creator and setting up his teammates seems to have taken another step forward in the bubble so combine that with his ability to knock down pull-up threes at on any given possession and just create shots from nothing which is kind of what you need in a closer and there's no reason he won't continue his upward trajectory in my mind alongside you know continuing to be a really good and really impactful defender and getting better on that side of the ball too so they have that and you know everything else that they have in position um milwaukee obviously has the multiple mvp in Giannis, and um miami just I don't know where you would slot Jimmy, but they have him and a, a number of very good young players that should only improve. So Toronto, you know, you have Pascal Siakam, but it, he's not quite in that top tier like player to me. He's more of like a top 25 to 30 player. So he's... apparently the, the people who vote for all NBA thought he was second team, which is still just the fact that Siakam is on second team, Tatum's on third team, and Middleton is not on any of the All-NBA teams is just, it's just very disappointing. Yeah, it's, and, and I, I get that it's kind, it's more a referendum on the season they had. It's not like they're saying, hey, he's one of the 10 best players in the league. It's not, it's, it's not an overall ability. It's more of like a, snapshot of how they performed both like statistically and contributing to team success so i'm, I'm not as i i understand milton should have made a team but i'm not i'm not going to quibble with if they want to give him second team like i, I kind of get their argument um but he just toronto overall they're just going to always be really good in my mind and they have Masai Jiri, who's one of the top GMs in the league. So I'm sure they will continue to make good moves going forward. Uh, but they just don't have that that blue chip prospect or talent who you could say like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy won an MVP or was even like a top three MVP ballot guy. Um, and that, that's kind of what I 
wanted to see in a in a tier one team hmm. no and then for our second tier um i mean so we both had the raptors at the top of our second tiers basically the only other teams i had in there were sixers and pacers pacers kind of just because even though there are some rumors that they could lose oladipo or maybe even looking to trade him they just have they have a they're like um i'm trying to think of it they're kind of like a poor man's heat in the sense that there's not a ton of star talent, but they have some, like they have like a core identity. They don't do things that are very stupid. All their players are like good to reasonably competent and they're just solid. I mean, the, obviously the playoffs have not very gone very well for them in the last two years. They've been exposed pretty bad by teams with more talent, but like, it only takes one thing for them probably to hit on and they haven't put themselves in a huge hole. So if they could just get like a big break and maybe it pushes them forward, I I wouldn't expect it, but I think there's a place there. And then, I mean, there's the Sixers who just a year ago were definitely in that top tier who sunk back down after they mismanaged their assets. For sure. Uh, Indiana, I I feel like they could have had a similar run to what Miami's doing if, they had the version of Oladipo prior to his injury. Mm-hmm. Just the guy who was on any, any given night had the capability of being the best player on the floor. And that's kind of how Oladipo was playing in that, that season. Um, I guess it was two years ago at this point. Yeah, tw- 2018. Yeah, the 2018 season. So if, if they had that version of Oladipo and, you know, they had Warren going off for like 40 points on just random nights and they had – Brogdon healthy and you know Sabonis and Turner are both solid players and they have pretty you know competent bench pieces yeah it wouldn't have surprised me if in a few week run they were able to surprise people and that's that's kind of where I I feel like I I, that's why I feel tier two is appropriate for them um but yeah the the Victor Oladipo not maintaining that level of play post-injury definitely limits their ceiling and I think they're going to need that to change if they have any real thoughts about being a contender going forward Um, otherwise I think they're just going to be stuck in the middle and it's kind of sad that the team like the Sixers that was all about finding those stars doing things this incredible way we have them in the same plane as teams were Toronto were like, oh man, unlucky Kawhi left. Now you kind of you're kind of missing your star guy. You guys do things the right way. You should. We don't think you're going to be a contender for years to come, but you could be. Or the Pacers, like, yeah, you got again done things pretty smart, but nothing incredible to write home about. And then the Sixers are there too because it's just it's just really upsetting. I mean, I don't know how many ways we can say in that. They, the Sixers are not on that same tier. And we, it's amazing that they are in the second tier. Just like go to the West, like the West, the Western conference next year, the only teams who might be bad are like maybe the Thunder. Cause it looks like they're going to trade away Chris Paul and probably try and set to rebuild. But if not, like who's going to be bad in that conference? Like, yes, the Wolves and Kings, I don't know, might be bad by default, but they're like try- every team in that conference is trying to win right now and has something. Whereas the Sixers, even in this getting this advantage of playing a conference with much worse depth, with basically the Sixers could play terrible basketball year, they'll probably still get at least the seventh or eighth seed because there's just not enough talent to overtake them. And yet here they are, back where they were all the way back at the start of the 2010s, where kind of middling in a conference where it doesn't seem like they have a chance to break through. It's, it's going to be super depressing when the pro the process ends with, and, and the process, are, I know the process has already ended. It ended the day Sam Hickey resigned or was for, was uh, pushed out by Brian Colangelo coming into the front office. Was sent but, out of cannon by the Colangelos. Right. From, from Wells Fargo center. But the the narrative of the process is going to end with Joel Embiid being traded to for to jumpstart a rebuild for the Sixers because they've been traded a five to or six seed. For James Harden. <laughs> no, it's going to be for I don't know whoever whatever whatever the top fifteen year old basketball player is right now. I don't I don't know enough about 
prep basketball to be able to comment but mikey williams i, I don't know <laughs> yeah who uh, who knows but it's going to be for, for that and a future pick and everyone will say it'll it'll just have all come full circle they, they'll they say well you know they they've never got out of the second round and they've been a five seed for three straight years and something needed to change and joel Embiid will be 29 at that point and will have wasted his prime really, so <laughs> really the, only, the only thing that can kind of get them out of this spot I'm, I'm thinking is you have to really hit on some trade that can fix all of this somehow ben simmons even though the narrative that because it like we've seen with the heat like you can have two relative non-shooters and butler and Adebayo and still be a good team if the pieces are right around them but should ben simmons somehow develop a jumper and a really good one that would make them a lot better. So really the only, and then the third way would be you have to get like Nikola Jokic level lucky and that your 41st pick in the draft turns into a generational, generational superstar. So the three, yeah. And those are, none of those are very high likelihood paths. Your, your three paths to contention at this point are one of your own stars takes a completely unforeseen and unpredictable leap. You, hit miraculously on a late draft pick or you somehow makes one of the better best trades ever and take negative assets and turn them into huge pluses which i mean do we think front office collaboration <laughs> inc can do that yeah, i was ex- i was just gonna say that it's i have zero faith that they'll be able to correct the roster by swindling other gms um they are the ones who are swindled and so I have, I have no hope in that path forward. I, yeah, I think the only realistic way the Sixers can get out of this mess is the Ben Simmons skeleton key, where he suddenly starts shooting, and all of a sudden he's a top five player in the league. It, Which, and that's... It's not going to happen. I just... I it's, just it's not... Yeah, it's not realistically going to happen. We need, we need workout... Summer workout Ben Simmons is the only... The only way the Sixers can get out of this mess. And uh, Joel Embiid talk the, – the player Joel Embiid says he is during the offseason is the other – the one who's 25 pounds lighter and suddenly can jump t- a few inches higher. If, if we just and had stays our, healthy for an entire postseason. If, should, should we petition the NBA to move the season to the summer? Is that the key? Is that just perfect? well? They did. I mean, we just had we had an August <laughs> we had an August basketball so season. The whole season and your games have to be played only while well, the only film of your games is on a phone of your friend on a sideline, and you all get to wear whatever clothes you want. So, does that's maybe that's the key? It, we can only watch regular season games via Drew Hanlon's Instagram. That's <laughs> that's the path to success for Philadelphia basketball yeah well as I was saying with the east and west kind of like split with how much better the western conference is you see it in the next tiers because like below them I had teams that you know maybe there's a pathway to being really good in the Bulls Hawks Magic and Wizards the Magic guys they're like again you know the the Pacers are a poor man's seat while the Magic are a poor man's Pacers kind of like just solid a lot of good players all around have some key guys who are pretty good, but really probably not doing much. The Wizards. How do you think Magic fans would feel about that? Being what? called the poor man's Pacers. One of my best friends is a Magic fan, so. But I'm but like... I, I'm I'm just like genuinely like would they be offended or would they be like well you know that's not I guess I guess that's better than a lot of other teams. What are the chances <laughs> that they take it as a compliment? Like yes, like, poor man's Pacers, baby. It, it they're just so I, I guess they're just so far out of the like narrative building of NBA circles like it's kind of I know that the ringer jokes like Kevin Clark is the only Orlando Magic fan and yeah. they kind of they kind of play that up and yeah they're just it's not it doesn't seem like a big basketball market so it I don't know it's just it's just I, I'm just curious how they would feel about that. <laughs> yeah, and then and then for the other teams in there, I mean, the Bulls and Hawks. It's I, I honestly could have mo- moved the Bulls down. They have a lot of again, like the theory of the Bulls is a lot better than the actual Bulls team. They 
every year it feels like, oh, this year they break out. But Laurie Markkinen, he's like Nikola Miritich 2.0 in that he you, – you look at his shot and you say, that's a stretch big man who shoots well. But then you look at his actual numbers, he's like, wow, he really doesn't shoot well. Excuse my dog barking in the background. But um, And then you have Kobe White who was – awful for the whole season had a good last few weeks and immediately everyone assumed he was great Zach Levine who again poor man's Russell Westbrook basically does not make your team better Wendell Carter who's good but Jim Boylan didn't let him told him he wasn't allowed to shoot anymore practically so that really stunted his growth so they have a lot of interesting pieces then just the Wizards the Wizards definitely could be a down a tier two but it's just you got to hope that, like, John Wall plus Brad Beal is still something. Because, I mean, that team made the second round, like, three out of four years. That's really hard to do. Yeah. The, the encouraging thing for Washington is they at least have the blue chip guy in Beal. Like, mm-hmm. so you at least have something to build on if you're them. And who knows if he'll be there long term or if it's just going to play itself out in a couple of years. Wall never approximates anything like his former self pre-injury and they just have to start over by trading Beal for young, for even younger guys and picks and whatever else they can get and just do a full rebuild. So, but at least they have him. So that's something a few other teams can't say. Like, at least they have the blue chip guy. Yeah, um, something the Pistons can't say, even though the Pistons are doing the right thing. And I mean, I guess I was, I'm, man, I guess it's, that says what I think about Blake Griffin's health status. Because if, if Blake Griffin came back healthy, like, Obviously, the Pistons would be better. I think Blake Griffin was great in 2019, but I'm I'm really worried that Blake's knees are just done. Yeah, it's it's just a depressing situation for Detroit, and you're, you know they're they're kind of capped out. They're some of their best players, both I, I, maybe both of their best players, depending on how you feel about Derrick Rose after he had a kind of nice season. But uh, Christian Wood is more valuable to them. Yeah, for sure. But I I just meant like two of their best players both have serious knee issues where they'll never, they'll never be healthy really. And uh, yeah. So if, if you're saying the most encouraging thing about their roster is they have Christian Wood. I love Christian Wood process era guy, um, Christian Wood, but that's their most encouraging piece or that's kind of a depressing place to be as a franchise. Um, Yeah. Chicago. I'm kind of interested to see just, what Billy Donovan can do there just by virtue of not being Jim Boylan. But do you think that was the, that, do you think that was the first line of his resume? I am not Jim Boylan. I will not have players use a literal punch clock when but, they come into work. The leadership council is officially dissolved. I am yeah. the leadership council. Yes. I, I am your leader now. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the captain. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but no, and the, with the Pistons, like, Oh, also, I was going to mention this. Uh, Christian Wood, congrats. You are efficiently the Sixers roster complaint corner guy of the week. <laughs> any, compl- any any quibbles of that, Sean, or is it Christian Wood's week? No, it's definitely his week. Should should still be a Sixer. He, he always, like, I mean, because wasn't the thing with him, like, there was some discipline and off-the-court issues, and he never really shot – he had shot better in practices until regular – than in actual games. But this year, I mean, his shot really came along. He's basically, like – this awesome stretch five. Yeah. And um, I'm surprised that the Sixers let any big man slip through their fingers. I thought they were trying to collect them all. So I, I, I'm just surprised that they would let any, any single big man go. If, if the Sixers backup center last in 2019 is Christian Wood instead of Greg Monroe, do they win the title? How, how would your life change if, they had had a legitimate backup center because I know I know you previously said that was just, that was the worst five minutes Greg, of your life. The Greg Monroe thing because you could see it building because it was bad in the first six games, but at least they were somehow managing it. Like it didn't kill them in the games they won. There, he, he, he had was, an like, actual good game in the Brooklyn series. Yeah, I mean it was yeah, but then that game seven you could tell like because in game sevens there are very few guys who can play in really good game sevens, and you yep. have to be smart about how you do it, and then just. As a Sixers fan, you saw him sub in, and you saw the time left on the clock, and you knew that the plan for the Sixers was let's just buy and beat some time, and you knew exactly what was going to happen. Like, this can't be good. And then nine nothing run, the Sixers spend the rest of the game trying to dig themselves out of that hole instead of taking a lead, really. And then every, the rest is history. Yeah, 
um, just another depressing look into recent Sixers past. And then, um, the, and just to finish things up, so we had the I had the Pistons in that bottom tier, and then the last the other three teams with them: the Cavs, Hornets, Knicks. Knicks have some interesting pieces. R.J. Barrett isn't bad, but he's in a bad situation. Mitchell Robinson's cool, but still. Are, we, are we sure R.J. Barrett isn't bad? Okay, well, I'm trying to give R.J. Barrett the benefit of that. But I don't know. He is like, it's like he's a he's very much like Ben Simmons that his team is doing the exact opposite of what would help him, and that he is very good at getting to the rim, and he's very strong, has some good moves, like draw can draw some fouls, you know, stuff like that. But then they say, okay, we're gonna put a ball dominant power forward around you and Julius Randle, a guard who can't shoot, Frank Nilkina, other centers who can't shoot, all these like non shooters who like to have the ball in their hands and figure it out, RJ. Yeah, I, I that's that's fair. I, I I don't mean to knock RJ Barrett because I feel like anyone that gets drafted by the Knicks, that's just like a career death sentence at this point. So I don't want to pile on him. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I I will. His his shooting definitely needs to improve. And then you have the Hornets, who I I mean they were closer to being in the playoffs than they weren't this year. But that if you looked at it closely, they really outperformed their point differential. They won a lot of close games. And if we're they really still are just at ground zero trying to build up. And then the Cavs the Cavs think they're a tier up. That's why they traded for Andre Drummond. But that's because the Cavs and their general manager do not know what they're doing. And are not a very good team. Sexton is not going to again, Sexton, I just not does not make your team better in any way, in my opinion. He led the league in getting his shot blocked, I think, by over 50 shots. So and <laughs> that's then, a great stat. No, I, I forget what it was. He got like 190 shots blocked this year, which you have to be tr- like could have you had 190 shots blocked in your life, Sean, and pick up basketball? Probably not. No, uh, it's a lot of shots. That's a lot of shots. There was a classic play against the Bucks where he drove into three defenders, and two of them were Giannis and Brook, and he shot it anyways with 16 seconds on the shot clock, and they just swallowed it. Which I mean, we're getting too much into my. This is usually what I tell my Cavs fan dad about why he he <laughs> agrees with me, but I just remind him about how bad it is right now. Really, the only bright spots for them to me are Kevin Porter Jr. is pretty good, and I think larry nance jr does a really good job but other than that i do you have have a glad they're not a sixers corner and do you want to induct colin sexton into that Oh, that's glad they're not a sixer colin sexton Uh, that that's see this is why we pay i mean this is why we pay you sean this is this is why we have the podcast for insights like that all right Colin sexton founding member of the glad they're not a sixer corner all right, I'll let Steve know. This is why I get paid. <laughs> he'll he'll be glad there's a reason. <laughs> but it lo- that's probably going to do it for us. Uh, Sean, you got any last thing you want to add? Uh, no, just that every rumor that comes out about Sixers basketball makes me more and more pessimistic about the future. Um, is that is that an upbeat way to end the podcast? I don't know. <laughs> it's about it's it fits the tone of the podcast. Okay, it fits our tone. We're we're at least tonally consistent, so that's yeah. what we strive for. Put it on. But, the, put it on the banner. Tonally cons- consistent. That's right. Um. Yeah. But uh. No. Seriously, it's uh, it's good to have a place to vent these things, and I think that's kind of what brings Philadelphia sports fans together more than anything is a shared frustration with the sports teams they love. So uh, I'm glad we can, uh, it, it has that effect for me. So hopefully uh, the listeners out there feel similarly. And if you get tired of hearing about the Sixers, don't worry. The Eagles will give us a place to share our frustrations <laughs> this yeah. Monday. Uh, I think it was Rich Hoffman of the, of the Athletic tweeted, um, could have been a better two months for, for uh, Philadelphia sports. Between... Could, have been a better, could have been a better two years for the city the past two years. Yeah, but but uh, between the Sixers going in as like, oh, maybe this bubble, they can be the, the weird team that emerges, and the Eagles having hope and now looking like they literally have the worst DVOA in the NFL. <sighs> so they look awful. And the Phillies having a historically bad bullpen, I think the second worst bullpen in the history of the sport. Um, yeah, 
Philadelphia sports. To make, uh, shape your lives around them. <laughs> find find another hobby, I guess, would be my, my best advice. I, find, I a new, anyone. find a new slant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this this is a normal sports town. Find a new slant. <laughs> All right. It's great talking to you, Sean. See you next week. All right. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>